Welcome, everybody, to the Always So Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and so grateful to have you here with me today listening to this episode. So this week, we are celebrating Halloween, or I mean, really All Saints Day, but you know, Halloween kind of rules the roost with regards to culture. And it seems that on every street corner, there's a horror mansion, one of these haunted houses things, or everybody just seems to get a little bit more gory with their decorations in the neighborhood, or even in movies. It seems like every time around this year, the latest Halloween scare flick is is hitting the theaters. And so I thought in, in light of that, not to be too cheeky, but in light of what we are doing as a culture this week, I thought this would be a great time to talk about demons. And what does the church actually teach about demons and their influence on us? and exorcisms and deliverance prayers and how do we distinguish these things from mental health issues that is the focus for our episode today and joining me on the podcast is father mike driscoll priest of the diocese of peora illinois and author of the book demons deliverance and discernment separating fact from fiction about the spirit world put out by catholic answers press so father mike is a unique individual in that he is an ordained catholic priest he also has a PhD in counselor education, shout out to all the counselors there, who wrote a dissertation focusing on uh, the experience of exorcists and how they make distinctions between the spiritual uh, manifestations and mental health issues, and then also where the two are combined. And so in today's episode, we go into figuring out how demons uh, influence us, from whether it's temptation or full possession or oppression and what all of that means. I will say going into this episode that I that this type of stuff, it, it draws a lot of curiosity and attention. And what I appreciate about Father Mike's perspective is that he's pretty sober and, and real and balanced with regards to this topic. And so in this episode, you're going to get a lot of great content and, and information um, that is just like I said, pretty sober, pretty real, pretty honest, um, drawing from his experience and his research in the conversations that he had with exorcists as part of his doctoral dissertation. So when the show is done, please don't forget to subscribe, like the episode, and leave me a little review. Love always getting all that feedback from my listeners. It really does mean a whole, whole lot to me. And listen to the show. All right, guys, let's get into this. Father Mike Driscoll, welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. How are you doing today? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Doing great. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're, you're certainly busy uh, with the chaplain work that, that you do at, at the hospital and um, the other great things that um, you're doing there in the diocese. And so I am um, yeah, just grateful that you took the time to, to join me on the show and really just fascinated by this topic. I, I find that, um, and I know we'll, we'll get into this as the show kind of progresses, that this conversation related to uh, demonology, uh, evil spirits, and deliverance is something that has garnered a lot of attention as of late and just requires a lot of balance and nuance. And that's how I discovered your book was when I was working at Notre Dame Seminary and used the book as, as, um, as well, at least one of the chapters of the book to help with my lectures uh, related to deliverance prayers and to inner healing prayer and trying to encourage the seminarians to find the right balance with this. So I guess just out of the gates before we kind of get into anything else, Introduce yourself to the audience. What, what drew you to this as something to study? Um, yeah, so just kind of some basic questions there. Um, well, the bishop had assigned me to be a hospital chaplain in, in the city of Peoria. And um, 
uh, one another priest I knew was taking some counseling classes at the local college there, Bradley University in Peoria. So I thought, oh, well, that would be helpful, you know, do that on the side, you know, and um, help me, you know, it could help any priest, but um, especially I think a hospital chaplain. And um, that was it learned a lot. That was that was good, but of course it's secular, so you've got to, you know, it's kind of built on sand. You're still going to get some good things, but other things are not so good. Um, so anyway, I finished the master's degree in counseling, and um, uh, it was sometime during that time a priest I know in another state who had uh, bishop had asked him to do a, a, an exorcism or two or, or look into it or whatever. I can't even remember at that point what what he was what that situation was. But anyway, um, then as I went on for the PhD in counseling, and you have to write a dissertation, which is a long, dry paper, of course. Um, but that kind of had me that, so I was going through that at the same time I talked to this priest several times and I'm thinking, well, that's interesting. Um, what, uh, cause I would ask him, but what makes you think this person is possessed? What, why do you think this is possession and not a, you know, schizophrenia or some other problem? So we talk about that. Um, so then I kind of had that idea and ran it past one of the instructors I had who I thought might be interested. He's kind of a, a, you know, a great guy, Southern uh, evangelical, I guess. Um, told me, hey, here's an idea for a dissertation if you'd be willing to be a, and, you know, my, my director of my committee for it. said, how Catholic exorcists distinguish between demon possession and mental disorders. And I still remember the look on his face and his eyes got kind of wide. He said, I want to hear about that. <laughs> so that was, so he, he wanted to hear about it. So yeah, we, that's what I did then. And then after finished that in the degree, um, I can't remember if I was while writing it, I ever thought I would try and make it a more, you know, popular, more readable than a dissertation. But anyway, after I finished uh, school with that, which was 2013, I think I defended the dissertation. Um, I think shortly after that, I thought, you know, try to write a book out of it. So that's where that book came from. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. As a counselor, that question definitely kind of raises some eyebrows. When, uh, when you bring that up, certainly in secular programs are like, I'm not sure. And, and there have been times where I brought that question up to even in Christian programs and they were like, ah, I don't want to touch that with the 10 foot pole because it's like, as soon as we even start talking about demons, people are like, oh man, like somehow talking about them more brings out more fear or something. And, uh, so, so that's, I think one of the things that I appreciate about the book well, is, it's just that straightforwardness you know, to it. Oh, thank you. And you know, one of the, uh, other, um, Instructors on my dissertation committee said, can you get a few letters, you know, as you're going through the process of writing dissertation, he said, can you get a few letters to put in the appendix stating uh, from bishops stating that they would, that they uh, uh, encourage this kind of work to to look at this. So, um, like I listened to one of your podcasts about, you know, science and faith, kind of on that note that um, he, he wanted to. He's, he was Catholic, this instructor, this uh, member of the committee, he was Catholic and he knew that, that it would be encouraged, but he wanted that in the dissertation. So, yeah, I had um, Bishop Jenke wrote me a nice letter saying, yes, we you know, encourage this kind of work, you know, and uh, the former bishop retired now, but uh, Archbishop Myers wrote a, a letter too saying, yes, this will, the church encourages this. And the third bishop that I got was uh, Bishop Paprocki in our, our neighboring diocese of Springfield, Illinois. So yeah, and the, and the appendix of that is are three bishops saying, yeah, this is a, this is a good thing to do to look at look at this question. Absolutely, that's fantastic. Well, I want to start here by quoting C.S. Lewis uh, in the Screw Tape Letters, which I think is a, f- a phenomenal uh, book related to to this conversation and to um, to spiritual life in general. Lewis said that that was the hardest book he ever wrote um, because he had gotten into the mind of Screw Tape, and he said getting that twisted and that cynical and that kind of bitter like. Entering into that was kind of really disturbing for him to, to write it. 
But um, in, in the book, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall unto about the devils. One is to believe in their existence. And one, excuse me, one is to disbelieve in their existence. And the other is to believe and to feel an excessive unhealthy interest in them. The devils themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. What do you think about that quote? Gosh, and then did he say something about the ideal? Or well, maybe those screw tape that said it. <laughs> yes, Lewis says screw tape said something about the ideal would be to have the materialist magician to get to somehow reconcile these two irreconcilable things just to get people really messed up with it. But um, yeah, sure, there's, you know, because um, either mistake can be made. You can uh, um, be too quick to blame demons for things that are, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas said you look for the natural explanation of things first. That's why we have a. You know, they have to prove a miracle for a uh, for canonization of a saint. You know, we just don't accept someone saying, "Hey, I got wealth. That's good, and I bet your prayers to that saint helped you." But miracles taking it to another level, saying that there is no natural explanation, and then we've got the reverse. You know, for demon possession. So yeah, so we don't want to be too quick to attribute the, the devil is a primary cause of something, um, and then we'd also obviously. You know, any Christian, well, I shouldn't say that, you can never quote, call, speak for all Christians, but anyone who's, you know, keeping the faith even minimally would say, well, of course, there's there are demons out there. Jesus dealt with them. Right, right. So, yeah, so try not to go to either either, either extremes. extremes. And, and I think I think in our history, in our recent history, it seems that when I talk to people about this, that we have gone to both extremes, even in, in the church. It seems that almost <laughs> since, since the Second Vatican Council, there was like almost like a, it, it seems that in terms of the time frame, like the suppression of any conversation about demons and everything is just psychological issues or uh, hallucinations. And, and while those things are true, also for two counselors, PhD counselors who believe firmly in, in mental illness, it seemed like that that was at the extreme going to the, the materialist approach, um, even within the church. But then now it seems like in the last 10 years or 15 years, I would say like this growing fascination um, with demonology and almost in the sense of seeing now we've gone to, I think, in my opinion, almost too far in the other extreme of, of the magician. And, and when I've kind of speculated on this and wonder like, why is this, this such fascination that's, that's been increased here in the last few years related to demons and thoughts is, um, and this is my, this is just pure speculation, but my, my thought is it's almost like, because if we could prove the existence of the devil and somehow we can prove the existence of God, as if like, our, if we could see like that demonic activity, that somehow that taps into like the preternatural world, which then allows me to tap into like the supernatural existence of God. And, and, and maybe, I don't know, I don't, that's just maybe my speculation on the, on the topic, but it does seem like there is this increase in fascination um, about demons. And it doesn't seem like all of it necessarily is, is balanced or, or, or is even authentically, you know, in line with the tradition of the church. I think it's definitely true in some circles and, and, um, unfortunately those circles are, are good circles generally, you know, people who do have the faith and, and are concerned about the devil and sin and those things, but can, yeah, but can uh, start to blame too much. Like when, if I get a, um, a call or an email and talking to someone about, um, you know, thinking they've got a devil causing whatever physical or mental or relationship problem. Um, you know, I often, after listening for a while, you kind of near the beginning say, well, yeah, our question is actually how much, because certainly the devil is, is involved here making things worse. That's what he does. So whatever you've got going on, certainly the devil's making it worse, but maybe we should, you know, kind of ask the question is that the pro what's the primary thing here? 
and, and I don't know if that's even a theologically correct question, but what I want to know is, you know, have you seen a physician? If you got, if you have a number of health problems, well, that doesn't mean the devil's causing them. Uh, is he making them worse? I think so. I'm, I'm a hospital chaplain. I'm saying prayers and sprinkling holy water on people all day. So yeah, I think the devil makes them worse, and we pray to God to protect us from them. Um, but I want to know the, I want them to see their doctor too and find out what's what's the natural explanation for it. Same thing with mental health. Um, what's, what's going on in your background? What are your, you know, we're all disordered because of original sin. What, what are your, you know, in what, what what ways are you inclined to things that are bad for you? You know, those kind of things. Is the devil making them worse? He sure is. And then, you know, if the person is really adamant, well, here are the signs of possession from the Catholic, you know, right of exorcism. Have you been to any of those? And you try not to say sarcastically because, you know, Generally, no, they can't tell me anything about myself if they <laughs> they just met me on the phone or whatever. So, um, yeah, uh, so, I, I yeah what... devil's in the background all the time. All the I time. Presume, I, I presume 100 percent is, you know, presume God is inspiring us and helping us 100 percent of the time, as are the angels and saints. Well, I presume the devil is a full time, uh, you know, making things worse. Right. Right. So let, let's talk about that then. You know, it seems that there are words that are tossed around that maybe require a little distinction and, and I'd love for you to be able to kind of offer this for us, you know, temptation, oppression, possession. Um, what are kind of these, these distinctions, if we can say that on how demons or the devil works on the soul? Yeah. And that's actually uh, one of the things that the editor at Catholic Answers when they accepted my proposal for it, that um, he said, that's, that was kind of the opening to write for Catholic Answers. <clears throat> because, you know, they do apologetics and they did not have a book, you know, kind of explaining the church teaching on this topic. So, so that was the, that was the opening. Um, yeah. Well, you know, if you look at the catechism, you'll see, um, well, maybe even backing up, what do we have as sources for, uh, uh, for doctrine? You know, we can say, uh, uh, the catechism, the new one, we can look at catechism, of the council of Trent. um, um, and and then the creeds, of course. But another thing that sometimes is uh, almost uh, people might not think of a priest would um, are the ritual the rituals of the church. When you you know you're going through a ritual, then you know when the baptism ritual says this person is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's a legitimate way to describe what happens at baptism. A person becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's kind of it's got the level of doctrine, or it wouldn't be part of a ritual. Um, it's the same thing with the with the rite of exorcism. That's the source of. Uh, of doctrine too. Um, so, um, yeah, what, what do we, what do we have as far as doctrinal of, of demonic attacks? If you look in the catechism, you see temptation, of course, I, I don't think that, uh, the, uh, the newer ones gives those three sources. The, uh, it must in there somewhere, uh, the, the world, the flesh and the devil, certainly Trent, Catechism of Trent specified those three. So, uh, so there's one attack of the devil. I would say the most common and I would say the most dangerous. And why would I say that? Well, it worked on Adam and Eve. The devil didn't try and possess one of them. I don't know if he could have, maybe not, but whatever. Um, it's, so temptation is, is because it's so subtle. It's the most, the most subtle and most common. So I think most dangerous to our, you know, our chances, our soul chances of going to hell. And then the catechism under the topic of sacramentals um, mentions exorcism. And so we've got that. Um, and uh, should I mention, uh, I don't want to stray all over the place, um, um, but exorcism, even that, maybe I can take just a second to kind of define it because there are a few different ways. And St. Thomas Aquinas is always a great one for saying define, you know, 
want to define your terms in the well, broadest sense. Well, let's define, um, let's hold I'm off sorry, on defining exorcism in, in, in just a minute here. Yeah, no problem. Let's just kind of say focus on the, the ways then that the devil, so we got like temptation on one hand, which you said beautifully is, is the, uh, the most subtle and the most uh, ubiquitous way that every, every soul, every Christian, as long as we're on this side mm-hmm. of heaven, um, is going to face temptation on this journey. This is the way that the devil is going including to work on Including the Son of God, you know. Yes, the including devil, the Son of God. He, 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 wasn't, he wasn't going to have temptations of the flesh of the world, so the you know, only one source, so the devil that tried. Um, I think it's so fascinating. Those, I think we overlook yeah. it because it, it just seems that, um, and we would forget, right, that the devil really is working on us in that way. And it's not even the sensational ways that, on the other side, we talk about possession. We'll, we'll, we'll define this in just a second. Um, but it seems that we just, we overlook even the subtle, the subtleties of temptation um, in 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 trying to distinguish that within us. So, temptation. What, what's another way that the devil can can work on us? So then, um, then uh, the rite of exorcism um, uh, promulgated, meaning put out by the church in 1614. You know, after the invention of the printing press is when the church started. You know, printing. You know, things um, before that was all had to be, of course, written. So. Um, there was, it was 1614, but then I don't know the year. It was Pope Leo XIII uh, later in the 1800s, so it was 250 years later. He added a section to the rite of exorcism um, for a place. Um, so that kind of tells us that's in some that's a, uh, the level of doctrine, too. The devil can in some way attach to or attack a place, and we've got a ritual for when that happens. Um, so it's like a step above, I guess, the blessing of a house. In other words, uh, it, it specifically says uh, before using this ritual, the bishop should, uh, needs to, I mean, the priest needs to have the bishop's permission, just like he does to do exorcism of a person. So we've got that kind of odd one out there. Not odd, but just different. Like, oh, really? A place? Yeah. So I guess today we'd call it a haunted house. But um, the scriptural uh, evidence of that, um, that fascinating story with the uh the one, only exorcism that's really given in detail, you know, usually Jesus says the word and the devil, you know, come out shrieking. Um, but that whole thing about the garrison, the, the, the man possessed by the legion demon. And um, um, they seem to be, they seem to want to, they pleaded hard for Jesus not to drive them from that place. I find it so fascinating. I want to say to them, what do you care? You know, mm. <laughs> why do you want to stay here? But they get it. Maybe, uh, maybe something evil happened there and they like evil. The devil's just, that's what he does. He likes evil. Um, uh, maybe the devil, you know, always mocks. So maybe the place thing is, well, we have, God has sacred places and holy places. Well, the devil, you know, mocks that maybe by having, okay, I'm going to attack. I want this place to be, especially where I really do damage any case. So that is another, uh, uh I don't know if that's a level of attack. It's kind of outside the, the other ones that I'll tell us, but that is there. Um, right. I'll, I'll say to that, with, if I could just speak to that, I mean, I, yeah, I've walked right. into some places that I felt just kind of, I felt an evil presence. This was years ago. I, the one time I've been in New York and I love New York. This isn't at Knox, New York. So, so, so all my New York listeners, please don't, <laughs> don't, don't get offended here. But there was one time we went to, to a club and, and I, people were like, oh, this is the new hot nightclub. This is where we need to go. And I was like, all right, let's just go. This is like many years ago when I was in college. And we walk into the club and the club was like a converted Catholic church. And like where the oh, altar man. was, was like this, this, oh, wow. it was just, it was just, I can't even describe it. It was really, it was awful. It was awful. Like it was like, yeah, it, I, and it, it was, yeah, it was just awful on, on many levels. And as soon as I walked in, I was like, oh Lord, you know, like my spidey sense is tingling, not in a good way. And, uh, <laughs> I knew, 
I knew something was up. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, 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 and I think a lot of people would agree with what you're, with what you're saying there, that there, there's sometimes spirits do attach to, to a certain location or a certain place. Yeah. We, and I love to talk about that because it's a kind of funny, but kind of interesting topic too, about the whole haunted, what does that mean in Catholic terms, you know, mm-hmm. and that, but, um, but yeah, if you want to ask me about that later, but if to answer your question here, so the, if we kind of put that on the side, not as, as, uh, not existent, but just, um, uh, it's it's more of an attack on a place. So if we get back to the persons, we've got the temptation on one extreme, possession on the other. The church doesn't define anything in between, mm-hmm. and yet we know it's there. For example, St. John Vianney, you know, a good uh, holy priest, patron saint of, of parish priest, a uh, devil couldn't get anywhere with, uh, you know, tempting him apparently. So, you know, beats up on him physically, you know, the others who were around his room at night, sometimes they report, they hear noises, they see the room, you know, what's going on, go in the room, has been trashed or whatever. So devil can attack physically. And then some level, I'm trying to think of which a couple of the saints um, talked about, you know, what they were uncertain of. And and at some point thought some of these visions, they had, um, locutions, different things like that can come from the devil. So he can, I look at that as like almost temptation on steroids, you know, and it's an interior, something for the John Vianney attack was outside. The devil can also do some bombard us with thought, you know, temptation is what the devil giving us ideas, you know, gosh, I can get an idea from you, from a billboard, from a commercial, we get ideas thrown at us all day. That's all the devil can do. It's just, he does it in a spiritual way. But sometimes he seems to just be, like I said, on steroids, just really, really bombarding a person. And um, so we can, but the church doesn't define those two middle areas, handy words for them. Oh, sometimes we say um, oppression for the exterior attack, the John Vianney type, you know, getting attacked from the outside. Um, so something, if a sickness, if the devil was a pri- the primary cause of a sickness or primary cause of you know, whatever exterior attack, some call it, and, and I've used it too, but I always try to be careful to say it's nothing, no official word, just since we're on the topic, we can call that oppression. And then the, um, because he's oppressing, um, like the outside. And then the other one, like if someone just really like, uh, I had a couple of times, um, two different situations, poor young women struggling with anorexia. And it was, it was, uh, the two, two different times it was this description. They said, it's that voice. It's that voice telling me you should die. You should starve yourself. Look at what you're doing. Look at what you're doing to your family. Why don't you just starve yourself and die? That voice telling me that like, Oh, wow. I don't like that at all. You know? Um, so how much of that was uh, demonic, and the primary cause, or was the devil secondary to a struggle they're already having? I don't know. Um, but do I think the devil was involved? Absolutely. We could call that, if, if the devil was more primary in that, we could call it obsession. Um, he was obsessed with, you know, kind of obsessing on those people. So we could break it down to those four things, temptation on one end, possession on the other, and then oppression, obsession. But keeping in mind, you won't find that in the catechism, though that's, it's not official. It's a handy word. Some exorcists just say attached or attack and just say, let's leave it at that since we don't have anything to find it. And I kind of like that too. That was attack, attacking this person in some strong way or attached to them in some strong way. That's fantastic. Um, so can we use, we're going to use these terms for, for the sake of the show, even though, you know, if they're not specifically detailed like that in the catechism, but just for the sake of conversation. Sure. As long as we, de- yeah, as long we, as we it, define we, them and make it clear. Yep, that's right. Yeah. We're making it very clear. Um, but it seems that in, in my understanding is that when we move towards kind of up the rung, so to speak, from temptation to obsession, oppression, 
and then moving into um, possession, partial or full possession. Then when we get to possession, that can only happen with consent of the soul. Is that correct? Or no? Yeah. Um, it, like you, you get a little varying answers to that and a little, um, um, well, what do you think? The, the, it seems to me there's got to be some kind of consent there, but, but, um, put it this way, that would not be doctrinal either. And I always okay. try to fall back on that before okay. saying, and, um, some have pointed out that okay, I, I'm saying that more by talking to exorcists and the ones who seem to me more cautious, um, seem to think that there had to be some opening that the person did. As one exorcist said, I might've had that in the book that you don't wake up one morning possessed, <laughs> you know, he said you build a relationship. Okay. Um, but as someone on the, uh, maybe who would disagree with that, um, points out that, uh, uh, the, the the story when um, the the man whose um, son was possessed by a demon and um, you know he throw him into the fire and in the water. Um, it's, it's I think I think it says a young man. I'd have to look at the Latin, but it sounds like a child. Now what age? Maybe it's a fourteen year old, and maybe he was dabbling or something. Um, so who who knows? I just would be careful not to say absolutely it can't happen, but I'm very cautious about. Believing that that would, I like to be cautious anyway. But believing that a, a you know, there's certain a certain protection in innocence. You know, mm-hmm. a child's soul, a child to die, especially if they're baptized, they're going straight to heaven. If they're unbaptized, they're still at least you know limbo or heaven. Um, so to think that they could be physically possessed, it's almost always some kind of a relationship. This person is, as they sometimes say, open a door. Um, that sounds a little more creepy and exciting. Um, <laughs> but uh, built a relationship is yeah. uh, maybe a accurate way to put it. I think it is. I mean, creepy, I think is the right word. Certainly as we're we're kind of getting into some of this, because again, you know, just things that I've heard. um, And again, I'm not, I'm not an expert in this. That's why, that's why I'm interviewing you because I want to learn more about the topic is that at least for an adult and and maybe I'm wrong again, again, there's always exceptions to every rule I would say. And, and, um, but it seems that there has to be some relationship that's built with, with this presence. In, in some cooperation with it, which sounds strange, but, um, but it, it happens. And, and uh, yeah, horrific situations that I've heard of even with kids is, 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 um, I guess kind of, you know, um, it ways of being infested, so to speak, or infected rather is, is the right word. And, and, um, and sometimes kids, you know, something like the Ouija board. I mean, my mom, my mom scared the snot out of me when I was a kid, you know, talking about the Ouija board and, and it, she was right to scare me, you know, because the stories that she saw growing up and things that she experienced, and um, it really, it really, it really scared me. Um, but but things come up, even even I'll say like, so just this past weekend, this is honestly just this past weekend, our kids play football here in Southern Louisiana, and it's a hundred degrees even now in September. Oh my gosh! And, and one of the moms was talking about, okay, well, so what do we can do to to keep the kids cool? And another mom said, hey, I'll bring some Florida water. No, we were like, what's Florida water? We have no idea what that is. And, and it turns out that in your email. Yeah. yeah. I'm interested to hear what it is. Yeah. So it turns out Florida water is, is kind of this voodoo ritual. It's, it's like this, oh. um, <laughs> exactly. it's like this water that's, that's like supposed to be quote unquote, you know, attached to the fountain of youth and, uh, and somehow oh, wow. is kind of connected to, um, uh, you kind of like, I don't know if it's Santeria or some, some type of voodoo ritual, and I'm not sure why that's the thing to, to to be brought to bring us to bring the kids cool, but nevertheless, like the yeah, mom just yeah, 
I don't know. opening to some bad joke. Like, I don't know that the devil is really good at cooling people off, you know, <laughs> kind of bad joke. Like have mercy. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it was that. I, I don't really know why she saw, thought Florida water would be the thing, but, but nevertheless, I was like, well, I guess we got to talk to our kids about this, like, and make sure they're not bathing in Florida water. And, and I was like, oh, this is a conversation I wasn't ready to have. <laughs> it just, it's just, uh, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, when it comes to to fact that like these distinctions, if we can make them, you know, the temptations, everybody, um, but with something like that, again, maybe I'm trying to be too linear in it, but like if you cooperate with, with a new age practice or a voodoo practice, um, whether that's a, or a tarot card reading or a fortune teller, something, something preternatural in, in the negative sense, does that um, open us up more towards that type of more intense uh, attack? Or, or am I just trying to be too logical with something that isn't no, really meant I, to be logical? You know, apparently, I'll say th- this is a good line from a priest. I know he said, he said, you know, we don't have a roadmap to the other side. Mm. So we don't know why some people who do um, all kinds of things that seem to, that could uh, lead to possession and um, and never get possessed. The vast majority of people doing all kinds of evil things aren't, aren't possessed you know, in the Catholic sense of the devil's not now controlling their, their limbs and, and their vocal cords. Um, I, I presume the devil's like, you know, saying, Hey, they're doing a good job <laughs> by themselves. If someone's so evil, why should I mess with them? Um, but, um, um, I'm sorry, straight on that. No, um, that's it. That's it. No, I think the, you're oh, right. Yeah, so the, the, the opening thing, right. Um, you know, the, the exorcist generally will talk about a few, uh, ways of opening doors. Um, uh, but the bottom line is, um, is that relationship, if we think of it in the, that sense. So a one-time thing, just like a person saying a prayer, someone who's, let's say, not interested in God and says a prayer one time, that's a very good thing. Um, probably not, um, uh, they're not a saint at that moment. You know, they've, they've got to build the relationship with God. Good, good to do that one prayer one time if you're just starting to think about God. But, you know, and I'd say probably the reverse is kind of true. A person who's not particularly you know, doing lots of evil or, or inclined to evil and does one tarot card reading, one psychic, one Ouija board, probably not going to end up possessed. Um, never say never. But again, if we look at the relationship model, which I like this one, the exorcist that told me that, okay, probably not going to happen on, on doing one thing one time, just like you're not going to reach a high level of sanctity. Um, you know, the first day you start to say prayers. You know, if you're, yeah, that's great. That's a great model. Say, no, 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 that's good. That's good. Again, Recognizing that that there's an iniquity in all of this, there's a, there's a lawlessness. I think is the word that, that um, uh, Paul uses to evil. That that like you said, we're, we there's no roadmap to the other side, and so um, that's why we need good trained exorcists to be able yeah. to do good triage, good assessment of of the situation. Yeah. And so we're talking just at least generally, you know, here's to to a larger audience about kind of things to 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 be sensitive and, and aware of. That yeah, it's it's not a good idea um, to open you know, yourself the, up. Um, the, yeah. yeah, right. And and uh, you know, on the, so I go back and forth on the um, the true story that the uh, movie The Exorcist was you know loosely based on uh, was like a, a, a I think a fourteen year old boy who had been doing a Ouija board with his aunt who was involved in that kind of stuff and and end up fully possessed. If the, if the books a couple of books I've read claim to be the true story, let's say for the sake of argument that those are accurate. Um, then you'd say, well, really this young teenage kid who wasn't particularly doing anything, you know, he didn't seem to be a, a, a whatever, 
wasn't a 14-year-old uh, thief or, or murderer or something like that. Yeah, he was doing something he shouldn't have done with a Ouija board with a, a relative who shouldn't have been doing it. Um, but really, that would end up being opening to possession? Well, apparently it did. So apparently it could. And like I said, there's scriptural evidence maybe of that, that young man, whatever it happened to him. Um, but we can also keep in mind, God allows all kinds of evil things for, you know, that's that qu- the question of evil, why God allows evil and make it all right in the end, of course. Um, so we can look at it that way too. Okay. Well, demon possession is, is one more type of evil and, and probably not the worst. Um, I mean, it's as dramatic as anything I could imagine, but, um, you know, God allows temptation and people go to hell because they give into temptations and God allows cancer. So yeah, God allows bad things, even, even with, uh, even with children allows terrible things to happen. So that's part of, you know, that mystery. And, um, so yeah, could he allow it? Sure. Just the exorcists I've talked to who are cautious ones say they, they think there's always some kind of opening, some kind of relationship being built. And so, if I, you want me to mention the, the doors that they sometimes talk about a few categories. One is, uh, one is that those sins against the first commandment. So, you know, Ouija board, tarot cards, psychic, uh, those others, voodoo, whatever sins against the first commandment. Um, uh, second, uh, open door would be, um, uh, ha- um, habits of, how well, the priest put it, he said, sin. And I said, well, we, I think he said patterns of sin. And I said, well, we all sin. In fact, we all have habits. And he said, yeah, there's something about though embracing it. You know, if you have a, a, a serious sin, a mortal sin, and you embrace it, um, that that can be an open door. And again, lots of people in the world seem to be doing that without getting possessed. So it's not an automatic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but they've, uh, I've heard that's another opening. And the third one seems the most strange to me of all, um, but it gets right into mental health. And that's being a victim of a terrible, you know, abuse or trauma or something. Of course, the question I asked and that we'd automatically ask, well, whoa, wait a minute. You're talking about a person who's a victim of something. And uh, the exorcist said, well, it's, it's not being the victim that wouldn't be the open door, but that can uh, result in a person um um, getting really stuck in the negative emotions, hate, fear, anger, and those, obviously, any of these things we can say, the devil must like that, you know, it's weird to think of the devil liking things, but he must, he must like evil. And so, you know, must be attracted to that kind of thing. Person who's really, really stuck in very intense anger or hate or fear. God have mercy. God have mercy. So those three things, again, sins against the first commandment, seeking tarot cards, voodoo, those type of things. Uh, the second one was uh, a fascination or an enjoyment of a longstanding kind of sense of uh, a sin. And serious sin. And yeah, serious I think sin, it's serious patterns of sin. sin. Yeah. yeah, so just really embracing a, a, a serious sin, yeah. And then, and then the third one um, was a, a victim of some sort of violence or, or crime. And, and not necessarily because that in and of itself becomes the the portal, but the, the unforgiveness, the unhealed um could could lead to to further kind of fascination yeah. of evil and the hatred. It, it could be unforgiveness, stuff, or yeah. even yeah, or even it could just be that there might not even be necessarily sin involved. I guess you know, like yeah. uh, you know, a person would be terribly traumatized and be left with a lot of fear, um, uh, very intense sadness, very intense anger. Um, but you know, like, again, we'd say, well, it's unfair. Yes, it's unfair that they're traumatized to begin with. Um, we'd say it's. it's demon possession isn't the, the worst of things. And, and probably one of the reasons, the many reasons uh, she said, you know, pray for your persecutors, you know, uh, forgive as you want to be forgiven. Yeah, we do need to do those um, to get to heaven. And, uh, mm-hmm. and in this world, 
um, to uh, protect yourself against the devil. Wow. This is Dr. Mario Sacasa, and I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with Father Mike Triscoll to invite you to find me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. I graciously received the feedback that I've gotten from my listeners and love being able to dialogue with folks about the show. Continue to pray for all of you and hope that this show has been a blessing to you in your lives. Please continue to share it with your friends and hit me up on social media so we can continue the conversation there. So when what what's the criteria for a full possession? How do you how do you know? How does an exorcist know? Um, in in the research that you did, how, how did the exorcist define that? How does the church define that when when there yeah, is a full possession? I will, I will quote you um, from the like I said that when something's in the church ritual, we can say, oh well, that must be doctrine. The church doesn't do rituals of you know false things. So um, this was something that the uh, that when right back to my dissertation, but the committee found. Uh, a couple of them were non-Catholic, and they are the ones that found that most interesting. They weren't anti-Catholic, but they said, wow, that's neat. That was out there in the early 1600s. And I said, yeah, and it was out before that. That's just when it was printed. But um, but here's what uh, the rite of exorcism kind of has three parts. It's got the instructions, which I'll quote you from, from, from those right now. It's got the main thing, the right driving a demon from a person. And then it's got a third part, which is that one I mentioned added by Leo the 13th for places. So this is from kind of the first part. It's uh, literally some instructions uh, for the exorcist. And uh, it says, especially he should not believe too, ra- this is English translation. So Latin is uh, maybe a little this should be this should be an accurate one, especially he should not believe too readily that a person is possessed by an evil spirit, but he ought to ascertain the signs by which a person possessed can be distinguished from one who is suffering from melancholy or some other illness. Um, Nineteen fifty-two, uh, an English translation said uh, from some illness, especially one of a psychological nature. Melancholy was uh, melancholy in Latin. Um, I think they used to kind of say uh, they categorize mental health problems into that one and then kind of the, the psychotic things. But anyway, just basically saying exorcist, hey, this could be a mental health problem or some other illness. So be careful to distinguish. How do I do that? Here's the next, the next uh, sentence. Signs of possession may be the following. Ability to speak with some facility in a strange tongue or understand it when spoken by another. So there's number one facilities in a strange tongue, which the exorcists are pretty much unanimous. I think it can't just be um, babbling. It can't just be incoherent. You know, it's got to be a real language, uh, you know, for it to be, because what's happening is the devil knows languages. He can get around the world and know a language instantly and then use a person's vocal cords um, to speak it. And he's possessing that person. So there's number one. Second thing, faculty of divulging, um, future and, uh, no, that's, uh, more accurately, uh, divulging distant and hidden events. Mm. So distance, in other words, um, um, let's say I've got a person who I think might, might be possessed and they're telling me something. And later on, I found out, wow, they were talking about uh, something that was happening far away right there while they were in my office. Oh, that's wow. They should not have been able to know that, mm-hmm. you know? So that would be a distant thing. Uh, hidden events would if, if they start telling me things about my past or, or some other hidden event, but that, that might be a common one to start uh, mocking the. I've heard that. Like, uh, I, I know counselors who've gone in and been intercessors in these things, and the demons will start throwing out their past sins. And 
you know, just throwing them out there, you know, for, for the group to, to mock. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's, uh, that's one exercise that's, he considers that the most certain sign because the language, you have to be a little careful. Did this person learn some Latin in high school or something or whatever, you know, just a little bit careful. What's their background in the, in that language. Um, but if they start telling me something about myself and I don't know this person from anything, that that's pretty certain. The third one in my mind is the uh, most uh, iffy as far as being certain of it. And that is uh, display of powers, which would be on the subject's age and natural condition. In other words, some physical, you know, something physical. Um, I'm a hospital chaplain for 16 years um, and the hospital I'm in uh, has a, a mental health unit. So anyone who's around that, especially those who are in that unit every day and those the people who work in doctors and nurses and that who work in emergency rooms, they're going to see what might to the person who's not around that much like, wow, well, where do they get that strength? Well, drugs, alcohol, or it's, you know, it's very sad, someone who's not in their right mind, um, it's amazing how um, if they don't have any concern about hurting themselves or others, how difficult it is to control that person physically. Um, that's not a sign of demon possession in itself. Um, so but at some point you'd say physical things, you know, if a person, well, here's another way if want to look at them this way. These are all, like I said, the devil mocks. That's just what he does. I starting from the moment he said, I will be like God. Well, he can't be. Um, so he's going to mock God. So these are mockery of three things from God, you know, strange tongue. Oh, that's Pentecost, you know, speaking in tongues that everyone speaking in the languages of all those people there speaking the praises of God. Oh, well, the devil is going to be using the language to, you know, blaspheme or mock the, the exorcist. He's sure not going to be praising God. So that's, that's what that first sign is. It's a mockery of, of Pentecost, of, of the gift of tongues the apostles had in speaking other languages. Second one, uh, mockery of the prophets, you know, divulging um, hidden and distant events, you know, God does that. Today's a feast of Padre Pio, you know, God can do this kind of thing with people. Well, devil mocks it. He, he does that too in his own way. And then the third one, um, you know, the miracles and Jesus walking on water, things are physically impossible while the devil does those again in a mocking way. And then the, and so after those three, here's the final line though. And this is where this was the opening for my, my paper for my dissertation and various other indications which taken together as a whole, build up the evidence. Well, what does that mean? Well, that's kind of opening, you know, it's a kind of open question. That's why I've tried to be careful in my book. At, at the end, I came down on the more cautious side, but hey, the right of exorcism says other indications. Some, some exorcists will be much more broad in accepting, uh, wow, this person all in the space of a month um, they, when they were dabbling with some occult thing, they started to, uh, relationships broke down and, uh, got health problems and, you know, whatever else, uh, the, the, their house caught fire. Um, could that be the devil is the primary thing in those could be, I'm going to be certainly looking at what else is going on. Um, so, wow. Yeah. So looking at those things in, in, um, again, just general generalities uh, that that there's other factors we can consider um, aversion to the sacred is is that right is that one also or, yeah thank you and that's not listed right there yeah. that is that then comes into yeah, uh, yeah, catch-all category to, up, to, to the end as well so right but, that's not listed in that part which is a key thing because the person who thinks they're possessed also has an aversion to the sacred and, mm -hmm. and I bump into that I don't mm -hmm. want to say often but it doesn't surprise me anymore a person who thinks the devil's bothering them they you know 
they don't like holy water. Don't show me that cruise. Oh, okay. So I need something more than that. And that that's not just me. Any exorcist would say that alone. You know, a person who thinks they're possessed these days, everyone's seen enough movies or heard enough stories. Mm-hmm. Um, if they think they've got a demon and they might uh, show an aversion. Well, Father Driscoll, let me ask you a question here. So you, you are a unique situation where you're a hospital chaplain, but you have a doctorate in counseling and the doctorate was the, the dissertation. The focus of your study was related to exorcisms. So you come at this from three distinct arms of chaplaincy work, pastoral counseling, uh, your life as a priest and, and the, the capacity to administer and give the sacraments, uh, your your training and skill set as, as a professional counselor, and then also adding in this um, additional uh, expertise with regards to, to, to exorcisms. So if somebody's coming or someone says, someone wants to call your office um, and they suspect that they could be uh, oppressed or, or even a, a full possession or, or they lo- a loved one has this, what what's the kind of standard process um, that that looks like, and how do you? And I'm not saying if necessarily this is y- your job, but but let's say like how would somebody or an exorcist um, make those type of distinctions between uh, ascertaining for mental health issues, ascertaining for spiritual issues, and recognizing that that maybe it could be both, where the person is possessed, but possessed because they're a victim, and so you need to deal with the spiritual infestation, but you also need to deal with the the trauma and the wound and the the pain emotional pain that's there. And that's the required, that's the work of, of psychotherapy, um, or even just a traumatic experience of, of being possessed and now coming to realization that that, that, that could be the, the, the work and goal of therapy itself. So just how do you manage these distinctions and honor kind of both the, the, the reality of evil and the reality of mental health kind of, uh, there? Yeah. But, um, and one of the exorcists who I talked to, and he then had the position maybe 20 years in his diocese. And uh, I think it's done maybe five exorcisms. So he's not one who sees it, thinks he's seen it often. He's getting, gets a lot of people. His name's kind of out there. So a lot of people call or go over or whatever. It's just extremely rare. But I said, of the ones that were full possession, how many had that mental health problem? And he said, oh, all of them did. I said, oh, really? He said, oh, definitely. Um, so those two are not mutually exclusive. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. As you were just pointing out, you were mm-hmm. just pointing out, Absolutely. yeah, you know, Absolutely. not mutually exclusive. In fact, the trauma thing, I'm kind of there's there's the mental health opening right there for the devil. Um, um, oh, so well, you you will want the person to get counseling. Uh, you know, see a psychologist or, or uh, um, you know counselor. Um, you want them to have a physical and, and definitely. Um, Thyroid problems can cause weird things. Postpartum uh, depression amongst women, that hormonal thing can be terribly, you know, uh, can cause terrible depression. And once in a while, and you probably can remember at least vaguely some uh, a news story uh, occasionally of, of a woman like no criminal background, not hurting her children and suddenly murders two or three of her children like what and tries to kill herself. What's that about? Some of those are really are postpartum depression. It can do cause such a hormonal um, problem. Um, and it doesn't get treated properly by uh, the usual antidepressants aren't going to help that because the hormone thing. Um, some Catholic physicians are kind of on the cutting edge of treating that. I think the, uh, I think the whole uh, Creighton, I think they're very up on, on treating postpartum depression. So you want a person to get, you know, see your doctor, see, you know, got to do that before anyone exorcist would do an exorcism. Never say any, some of them might be quicker on the quicker to do it than others, but most will say, well, wait, you need to, 
see a doctor, you need to see a counselor. Yes, I'll keep talking to you also and see what's going on. But we want to cover the physical health, which can also cause mental health problems. We want to talk to the mental health. And um, yeah, oftentimes, you know, you ask about um, abuse and so many people come with whatever problem suffered some kind of, you know, abuse. It's just shocking. So um, you talk through that and, whoa, wait a minute, you know, look at the, this problem. I'll tell them, hey, you've got a soldier coming back from the war. He's going to have, if he saw bad, you know, terrible things, he can have all kinds of, you know, problems. It's not his fault. This isn't your fault either, but we, he does have to deal with it. And so do you. So uh, because I've got the counseling background, I can kind of, um, any priest can and, 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 and any person can do their best. I'm certainly not the best, but you try and meet with the person a number of times, um, Either they keep seeing me or they'll see get to see another counselor in addition to me or whatever. Um, that's how I would do it. Um, I think that's pretty much standard for exorcist. Then they'll keep meeting with the person. I'm, my job, I, I tend to sound too much like a counselor uh, sometimes because uh, the priest exorcist job is um, at that point for the screening is to refer for that thing. And then, hey, now we need to work on your spiritual life. You know, what's going on there? You know, making, you know, what, uh, where they, did they open themselves up through? violations of first commandment or bad root, you know, uh, habits of sin, you know, you're living together with someone. Well, gosh, we got to think about that. It's, I can say prayers all I want, but you go back home and, you know, um, committing some serious sins, you're inviting the devil right back in there. So exorcist wants to uh, work on the spiritual life. And it seems, sounds kind of weird, almost like from the movies, but, um, the, the, you try and get the person to start living, you know, doing some, you know, one, one exercise, spiritual, uh, what do you call it? Spiritual Olympics, not, not to get obsessed on it, but Hey, let's start, let's start praying a rosary. Start doing that every day. Um, you know, whatever, take some holy water home. You don't have to douse yourself, but morning and night, use that. So some really solid spiritual practices. If they're Catholic, Oh, you haven't been to confession. Okay. You need to get to confession and start getting the mass do all those things. If they really were possessed, what I've been told is sometimes that makes things worse for the time being, you know, like when uh, Jesus confronted the, that uh, the young man was possessed, it threw him down and convulsed, you know, they, they apparently do that sometimes. Um, but that's the start of getting rid of them. Um, and other times though, if they're not possessed, which is you know typical, whatever level the devil was bothering them is certainly going to be lessened. Absolutely. This person who wasn't, hadn't been to confession, wasn't praying a rosary, um, wasn't going to mass. And now they start doing those things. Oh, whatever level the devil was bothering them, uh, it's either going to flush him out or, or, you know, uh, drive him, you know, drive him away. It's going to get a better handle on the situation. So the, the recourse then is to assess what the needs are, if they're physical needs, uh, take care of them if they're uh, absolutely. Fit. Thanks for summarizing. Yeah, no, when the exorcist said, um, he, he said, uh, he said he has to tell people, I'm going to uh, give you the help that you need, not necessarily the help that you want, <laughs> because they walk in and sometimes some people want an exorcism. Well, you I know, mean, I, I, not, I, you know. I get it. I mean, I know people are suffering in, in, in absolutely and people, people are looking for answers oh, and people, sure. people want, you know, bless some people want I quick fixes sometimes, you know, and I wish that there was person a with, absolutely. I wish yeah. that ritual worked, you know, a miracle of, yeah. you know, mental and, and, and emotional healing for yeah. every person who's got terrible, whatever, you know, problem, uh, right. schizophrenia or depression or alcoholism, you know, you mean alcoholics who just want to quit and just keep failing. And it must be a demon in me. Yeah. Uh, the devil is certainly making it worse. And I wish the right of exorcism would heal it, but you know, 
we don't we don't use the the ritual for things that it's not meant for because it's not going to help. And then we're just you you know it's it's uh, you, then you're it's like doing a, a sacrament that you shouldn't be. It's like someone doing a wedding for for me as a priest. Well, wait a minute, no, don't do. Yes, matrimony is good, but no, not for him. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm not going to do an exorcism for someone who's not possessed. That's, mm-hmm. that's not helping them. And in fact, the last thing you want to do because I bump into people here with you know schizophrenia occasionally who think they have demons. The last thing I want to do is say, you know what? You're right. You're full of demons. Let's get working on this. Oh, gosh. Now they've got a priest telling and assuring them that they're full of demons. It's the last thing they need to hear if they're not possessed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to, to have that, that look, that outlook to, to view it from, you know, all these different angles to then be able yeah. to say, well, then if it is a possession, then, then we do have a ritual for them. We do have a process for that. Um, and even that process, again, please tell me if I'm right or wrong, but I might have heard. Sometimes alone, the, the the ritual needs to be performed multiple times. Um, so so even in right. that, it can can be can be a challenge, can be can be a, a, a longer suffering for for somebody as well. Right. Yeah. Um, again, that that's one of those interesting variations too. The more cautious exorcist, um, we can make different conclusions from this. They tend to need fewer doing the ritual fewer times, maybe one or two or three times at most, maybe five or 10, they would say, and the problem is resolved. Those who are like a, a more wide approach who, who tend to believe possessions are happening more often. Um, you can read in like Father Amorth, God rest his soul, the exorcist in Rome. He would talk about doing, um, uh, you know, exorcisms monthly for years and years for people. Um, my critique of, of that, you know, without critiquing the, the, the uh, Father Amorth himself, but just maybe that word person was not possessed. Maybe that's why the exorcism, right of exorcism wasn't doing anything all those times. Mm. Yeah, so to look at it. Yeah, it's, it's um, the word that keeps coming to my mind is, is triage. I mean, good triage leads to, to, yes. to good diagnosis, leads to good treatment planning. And, yeah. and I think that that's, that's what's needed. I mean, as a counselor, that's the question we ask always, what's the presenting issue? And we got to do some assessment work first before we develop a treatment plan and, and not be too quick to, to judge or to come to conclusions that are just not based in, in, in what's actually happening. And so we, we may want to see things a certain way, but we have to be cautious and we actually have to allow the reality of, of the situation to play out. And, and it could be that there is an evil presence that's mm-hmm. working in this person's life. And, uh, and that requires a specific skill set um, that, that needs to be attended to. And like, uh, yes. And then, so the person with the, who does think they've got demons, again, I, I like to kind of talk them, talk them down a little bit and say, well, uh, yeah, well, the question in my mind is going to be how, in what ways is the devil bothering you and what ways are you having other struggles? Because I know the devil is bothering you. That's what he does. So, um, yes, I, I believe you that it's something demonic. And most of the people will say that, including Catholics, including, so I started looking at this, I didn't know that those signs of possession. We don't typically don't, you know, as a pastor, I don't know, you don't need them that much. You can always look it up or call a priest who does know. Um, but, um, so a person says, I think I'm possessed. Well, then when you tell them what I say, Oh, well, I'm a Catholic priest. Here's what we mean by possession. And they'll often say, well, no, not that, but okay, well, yeah, go on. Tell me what is going on. Let's, let's go from there. So, you know, let, let them tell their story and, um, tell them that that's not what we call possession. So we might not do a rite of exorcism here, but let's, See what we can do to help. Okay, so so to that end, then in terms of seeing what we can do to help, there's been a, a rise in popularity, and as much as there's been a rise in popularity with the fascination about the demonic, and we're seeing this with movies a lot. There just seems like a new 
demon possessed movie comes out every every single year of different <laughs> circumstances. This fascination that's there culturally, but even within the church, there's been a rise in in what's been termed deliverance prayers, and and it seems that like we're we're clear. I guess I shouldn't say clear, but okay. So if there is a possession, if the the criteria that we spoke about, you're suspecting that in yourself or in another person, best course of action is contact your pastor, contact the chancery, get movement on mm-hmm. in terms of discerning uh, what's going on there. Right. But then when we go to the, the the temptation, okay, so the role of temptation, wonderful. Follow the spiritual exercises. Do do the work of the interior life of understanding wh- where the vulnerabilities are, where the weaknesses are, where where the concerns are. Um, meet with your spiritual director. Be open about your the temptations. Go to confession. Do the do the work of the spiritual life that we all have to do. But then going back to kind of this undistinguished, undefined kind of middle category of oppression, possession. I mean, uh, in, or or obsession. It seems like this is where kind of this deliverance prayer ministry has kind of um, uh, become become popularized, and and so I I I believe there's a role uh, in this, um, but I do have concerns about the way that these things have been promoted as well. So I just want to lay both of those out there as we kind of move into this section of the interview. So just define what deliverance prayers is. Um, what what are you seeing? Um, with regards to this and kind of what, what's some um, wisdom and prudence that we can offer to, to this, the, these, this conversation here. I'm glad you asked. I want to define what deliverance prayer is because again, um, we don't have one, you know, there's not, um, you know, we've got, uh, I'm here at my office in the hospital. So I've got here uh, the ritual of pastoral care of the sick. I've got the rite of funerals. Um, if I go over to the chapel, I've got the sacramentary lectionary and get all those things. Where's, where's my deliverance prayers uh, ritual? There isn't one because the church doesn't have that. So nothing wrong with calling prayers. That's like saying, where's my ritual of prayers of, of giving thanks? Well, we don't have a ritual. But it's certainly a good thing to give thanks to God. Your own words, uh, other prayers that people have written, that's all good. Same thing if we define deliverance, and we'll, again, we'll the way I think, well, I think there's a problem. It can be used a couple of ways. If we say it means some way of uh, praying for protection and driving away the devil. Oh, well, shoot. Say that St. Michael prayer. I say it several times a day, my first name. So I always like to, you know, stay close with him. Yeah. So say that um, several times a day. Uh, one Cardinal uh, Sunens, I think he was from Belgium, mm-hmm. passed some years ago. He said deliverance prayers. He said the most powerful one is going to be the Lord's prayer. He said, how could you have a more powerful one than that? And of course that's in the rite of exorcism, needless to say. Um, so if we want to say, Oh, a deliverance prayer by that, I mean, any prayer to, uh, drive away the devil and ask for protection against them. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. You can make up your own. You can find another one you like, whatever. The problem can be when uh, someone will talk about a deliverance prayer that they have and either explicitly or implicitly be saying, and this is more powerful than other prayers. Okay. Where did you get it? And what made it more powerful? You know, that, that would be my question there. Um, so I, I'm very And same thing with the deliverance um, ministry. If you mean you're, uh, you know, uh, a priest is taking more time to do that kind of thing. Well, that's, Gosh, some priests do more time on pro-life, some on, you know, whatever. That's, that's fine. Um, but don't start, uh, 
don't start creating the problem. You know, don't, don't, uh, it's a fear that, oh, we're going to have people coming to this thing and people who didn't seem to have demon problems suddenly are starting to have them. Well, wow, I don't know if that's a very good ministry. <laughs> it's kind of creating the problem. And, and I'm not, I don't mean to be laughing at the priest, but sometimes like, oh gosh, I think things were, you know, it just, people's emotions can get going. That's the, that's our nature. People can get crazy about a baseball team or whatever. Um, well, we can get, you know, kind of go along with a group mentality on that too. So you want to be careful of how much you get a group together and get them emotional about the topic. And then they start thinking we've got demons doing things and now we've got to do our deliverance things. And then those can be overly, in my mind, overly dramatic. Um, hey, we do rituals and physical things like sprinkle holy water, make sign of the cross. I mean, when deliverance, shoot, I would say... Uh, yeah. Uh, again, looking at the uh, rite of exorcism, um, uh, maybe I won't find the quotes quickly while I'm just talking to you, but uh, certainly um, the priest uh, sprinkles holy water. Oh, well, you know, definitely then that must be a powerful thing against demons in the rite of exorcism. Most of the rite of exorcism actually is psalms and gospel readings. Oh, well, gosh, read the scripture. That's that's powerful, especially the psalms and gospels. Um, and one of my favorite things We'll try and read you that. It's after he, there's three specific exorcisms. Maybe there's a time to find that. And in the broad sense, exorcism is, you know, uh, driving away the devil. In a more specific sense, it's the right of exorcism. Most specific sense, it's words directed at the devil. So it would not be an exorcism if I said, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, please, please protect me from the devil. But when the exorcist says, I adjure you, ancient serpent, by the judge of the living and the dead, by your creator. Okay, you're addressing the devil? Okay, that's an exorcism. You're, when you start talking to the devil in the name of Jesus Christ, that's the specific, most specific sense of exorcism. Now, the definition yeah. there, if I've heard, is an imperative prayer. Is that right? Versus a, a prayer supplication? Right, right, exactly. And yeah, imperative. And you're addressing, yeah, as part of that definition of imperative. Yes, you're addressing, he's addressing the devil. So the concern then, going back to what's been kind of popular is, okay, so if we look at deliverance prayer in regards to something similar to prayer Thanksgiving, that if if there's some temptation, severe temptation, some um, uh, presence or something that we feel and we just cry out in the name of Jesus, or we sprinkle holy water, or we frequent the sacraments, or we pray the St. Michael prayer, or we say the Our Father, any one of these, or we pray the Psalms, or we pray scripture, we do any of these things for the sake of desiring a, a reprieve from this presence, that would be a catch-all phrase for a deliverance prayer, correct? Right, yeah. And it's important to do that, um, Amen. Uh, as of you course. said, for, for this specific purpose. Yeah, just like, well, I, yeah, I pray for, uh, you know, whatever God's will be done, but I also pray specifically for the sick people I'm seeing here in the hospital. Yeah, so we want to ask God for specific things, yeah. But the problem is um, that sometimes what I see, what I see a concern is when we confuse that, that, that last thing that you were saying about it and addressing the devil specifically, like sometimes I've been around some of these circles. And again, this isn't, I'll just say this out front. I mean, like I've said this before, my, my conversion came through the charismatic renewal. So this is no way an indictment against the charismatic renewal, but it seems like some of these things can kind of be um, popular uh, within kind of more extreme or, or maybe unhealthy kind of charismatic circles where you start getting into binding prayers and and naming the demons, there's a spirit of anger and, and casting these things out and kind of going after them by name. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on that, Father Jesco? Right. Um, 
um, certainly not my place to say that it's wrong to do those things. Sure, However, I sure. can certainly say, well, wait a minute, the church doesn't require that. So, uh, you know, wh- where is that coming? Where is the where is the where is the church binding prayers? Where are the church? Uh, what I'm, I'm trying to think of there are other ter- couple terms like that: deliverance prayers, binding prayers, something. Oh, prayers to heal the family tree. Yeah. Um, you know, well, if those things were that vital, we'd have a we'd be in the rite of exorcism or somewhere we'd have it. So those things are created. Okay, fine. But at the, the, and as lead, I know it as lead because I have people ask me about it and tell me about it that um, like it. Um, that it's a necessary thing. That's the only way to, to solve this. Well, where, who said that? You know, I just, that's not a Catholic teaching. And I'm not denying that, you know, I've read some of these binding prayers. Oh, well, that's good. You know, sounds like a good prayer, but don't give it more power than it has. So, because um, I have heard that very explicitly said, well, they've got to do a binding prayer. No, they really don't. They might say the Lord's prayer. Um, here's a, this is a great, great line in the, uh, in the midst of the uh, getting towards the end of the rite of exorcism. So again, this is a, this is a rubric telling the exorcist what he's doing. It will also help to say devoutly and often over the afflicted person, the our father, hail Mary and the creed. Mm. Like, Hmm, that, that sounds vaguely familiar to me. Uh, you know, creed, our father, hail Mary. Oh, the rosary. Okay. So, Hey, if that's what to say over and over, those prayers is in right there on the rite of exorcism. I would say, wow, you want a deliverance prayer? Um, pray the rosary with, as you said, the specific intention of driving away the devil. Mm-hmm. As one exorcist said that he really hates the Blessed Virgin. He really hates her. One exorcist said. So. Yeah. And again, I, I go back to, you know, people suffering and wanting to go to groups such as these and, or large style conferences or things of that nature that can provide a, a, a quick fix and a simple solution. I mean, man, I, I, I would, just like you're talking about with the prayer of the, the, the right of the exorcism, same thing with some of these prayers. It's like, man, I, I wish that I could just bind out, identify the right demon, bind and cast him out, and then that would be it. Um, I just, I don't know. I just don't think it, it's, it's that simple. Well, it's, it's, that's not a, like I said, I'm not the one to say that's, that's wrong, but Correct. it's certainly not required. It's not, there's no Catholic mm-hmm. ritual for doing that. And a lot of that stuff, um, a, a lot of things uh, uh, came in from some uh, kind of a, which doesn't make them necessarily bad, but crept in from a Pentecostal spirituality. Sure, sure. You know, um, I don't want to start, you know, getting on the charismatic renewal, but some of those things I'm just like, well, okay, that came in in the late sixties and it spread from Pentecostal. Oh, okay. Um, that's that's certainly possible. I'm cautious of that. I'm cautious of something that I can't find uh, spirituality. I can't find in church history until 1969 or so, you know, and then, um, so I'm cautious of those. And and especially when it starts to become like a necessity, you know, yeah. like, oh, this is yeah. the way you have to do this. Someone called me a woman working for a, a diocese and said, um, Someone had asked her about this, so she was trying to, I had been kind of falling on her lap. I can't remember, maybe she was Catholic education or evangelization, whatever diocesan office she was, it was not my diocese. And she said, well, I started looking into this and she said, now I'm getting this, putting together this massive prayer because I keep finding things that different people say, this must be in your binding prayer and whatever. And she says, well, I'm finding more and more. And I said, you know, and we kind of laughed. I said, yeah, what does that tell us? Mm-hmm. You know, that the people are coming up with their own opinions and, and, and making them, uh, a more, you know, doctrinal, more of necessity than they should be. Yeah. 
Um, nothing wrong with looking online and finding a nice prayer. That's nice. No, absolutely. Whoever's writing it shouldn't, whoever's writing it shouldn't say, you know, if you don't include this, you're doing it wrong. Whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. And I think it's a good distinction that you're making. And I really appreciate the nuance that you're offering to this, which is there's a place for personal piety in, in, in somebody's own personal prayer and spiritual life. And, and then a distinction between kind of promoting that or enforcing that at a larger level as if this is the way. And, and I think that yeah. that's, that's an important distinction that needs to be made, which is that the church has, has been dealing with the devil you know, since, since bef- before, right. before the church even existed. I mean, God's been dealing with the devil for a long right. time here. You know what I mean? So, right. so the, there's many great saints that, that have kind of done this. And, and if we stick to the tradition, um, even if it doesn't give us the, 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 the quick answer that we may be looking for, um, our, our hope more securely rests in, in kind of what has been proven to be effective over over the centuries um and yes and when it comes to ritual i'm sorry go ahead no no no. go ahead you're good you're good uh, just when it comes to rituals um you know we keep in mind that um that's the whole church doing that so um and not that uh, okay here anointing of the sick can god heal sick people miraculously outside of that well of course and um you know saints do it and saints in heaven on earth and saints in heaven do it um so god can go around the sacraments when in in, in that sense in that sense when he when he wants um and, and go around that sacrament when he wants i shouldn't even say going around it that's not his only way but for me as a priest someone's in uh seriously ill. Um, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do. And that gives, I'm no saint, but that gives me a lot, that gives this person, uh, a, a lot more, you know, power, uh, mm-hmm. against their sickness. Why? Because I'm an ordained priest. And when I do a, a ritual of the church that ordained priests can do, wow, it's not Mike Driscoll doing that now. It's a pre- ordained priest doing a church ritual. The whole church is now here praying for this sick person. Um, yeah. Amen. So and yeah, so same thing with, and I guess that's a distinction. Not that God, hey, you know, we had saints who drove out demons who were not priests. Um, I think Saint Hildegard, and you know, mm-hmm. some others. I'm sure we could name. Well, um, that, that's so an important distinction. God doesn't, God doesn't need that right of exorcism, but but we do. You know, I, if I'm going to do it, I sure I sure need it. <laughs> if I'm going to confront a possessed person, I, I you know I'm going to say my prayers, or whatever. But I'm going to say, hey, Bishop, you've got a problem here. You know, if I see something I think is possessed, you, you might want to appoint an exorcist here, unless we've got Saint Hildegard, you know, uh, in our diocese, something like that. And, and you know, well, that's a great question. I mean, so what what authority does the baptized have? Uh, as opposed to an ordained minister. Yeah, and I, you know, I, um, I don't want to ever make it sound like you know God. What, what is that saying? God, God is not limited by the sacraments, but we right. are. Right. Even Holy Communion, you know, for right. there's that practice, that old practice of making a spiritual communion. When a person says, for whatever reason, I'm not able to receive Holy Communion today, God, please give me the graces that I would have. God can do that if he wants, you know, that's, that's not up to us. It's up to us to provide communion and stay in the state of grace if possible and receive it in that way that, that is guaranteed to us. If we can't, you know, what do I do if I'm, I'm dying and I can't get to a confession? Well, I do the best I can, a good act of contrition and ask, you know, the best I can ask God's mercy. Um, if I can't get to confession, so we, you know, God can dispense his grace as he wants. So sacraments don't bind he he doesn't need them. We do though. He told us do it this way. And if he wants to make exceptions, that's up to him. So same thing with the, uh, with, with the demons, of course. And, and I don't want to even say exceptions, but, uh, but possession, 
wow, there you'd really, you'd really want to uh, have an exorcism. Um, but certainly, hey, there have been saints who, who drove out fully possessed people who, you know, Hildegard is one I know that apparently was able to do that. Right. But in so, oh, for the baptized, yeah, general we practice. certainly, we certainly, uh, and yeah. through our baptism, yeah, we certainly have a, uh, uh, there were members of the church. And so we've got the whole church praying with us. Um, just not always the authorities to, to use the church rituals, which are, you know, I tell us who's able to do it. Some things are reserved to a bishop, even uh, ordaining priests and that. So, yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, baptism um, absolutely gives a person power um, that they wouldn't have, that the unbaptized would not have. Now, how much? Boy, I don't know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But we certainly believe that's a good just. A, a, a very powerful thing, just like how much power does my blessing have? I don't know, but as an ordained priest doing an official church blessing, it's got something mm. that it wouldn't have if I were not an ordained priest. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a good. It's good. So, if if like as a counselor, then if somebody's coming and we suspect that there's something there, and we just do some prayers together, uh, that would be sufficient. That would be healthy to to do uh, a Saint Michael prayer together or an Our Father together. With the specific intention of of, of lifting uh, this type of um, negative presence in this person's life, would that be appropriate? Right, absolutely. And and like I was saying, I would I like to. Uh, there's a longer version of the of the Saint Michael prayer that the Saint uh, the Pope Leo the Thirteenth wrote both of them. The one the the one that we commonly pray, and then this longer one that's in the in that part of the uh, ritual that is for places. But yeah, so I would say, oh, well, you know, since you're not going to do the rite of exorcism and neither am I, unless uh, the bishop appoints me to do one, um, but what parts of the ritual can we use? Oh, well, we can, you you and I can sprinkle holy water on this person. We can say the Our Father and Hail Mary and Creed. We can say the um, St. Michael the Archangel prayer. We can have a crucifix in, in, our, in our, you know, Hopefully, hopefully you're in a place where you can uh, have a crucifix in your room, in the office, or whatever. So, yeah, the, use all those parts of the right exorcism we can that, that all all Christians, all, anyone can use. Awesome. It's interesting, non-Catholics. I don't know if it's because of they got the idea from movies or what, but they still often have an appreciation when they're dealing with this topic. They often have an appreciation for holy water. And I just explain it. You know, I say, oh well, that's a holy water. Yeah, I've got it from the tap. What makes it holy water is, you know, I said no official. I'm a, ordained priests said an official blessing of the church, which asked for God's blessings and to drive away the demons from wherever this is sprinkled. So they often appreciate that. Mm, that's amazing. Yeah. The power of the sacramentals and it's just neat. I mean, the whole conversation, Absolutely. I mean, I, 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 there, there is, a, I understand the fascination with it. I mean, I get that there's a place where it is, it is neat kind of looking and saying, okay, man, God's power and the mystery of all of this. I mean, God allows all of this is, is, is the, the, one of the mystery of mysteries, of course, why God allows evil. But in the particular sense, how he allows the the devil to still have this this kind of place and foothold and in, in, in working in people's lives like this and and again it's it's just you know I read yeah I was reading something an older book and it was a great as good an explanation as I've seen um, and we never have a full explanation for you know why God permits the devil to have his time <clears throat> until the end um, but this. Uh, priest said, well, God made one universe. He, he didn't make multiple. And if, you know, um, so he didn't make this universe and say, oh, now some of you angels sin. Well, I'm separating, I'm quarantining you off somewhere else. Um, and uh, human beings, when you sin, oh, I'm quarantining you. You know, this priest, I can't remember the name of the book or author. He said, that's not the way God did it. He made this one world. And so 
That's what it is. So yes, the devil is free to roam in it and we are free to sin in it. That's, that's the world God created. Otherwise he'd have all these separate universes for all every time, you know, isolating sin from any effect on anyone else. That's, that's not the way God made it. Yes. sin is going to have its effect. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, so that's, yes, we are stuck with it, but yeah, what gives the devil on certain occasions, uh, the power to do this, or maybe he has the ability to do it a lot more, but he doesn't. Sometimes I wonder if it's a, a sideshow, um, because, uh, you know, for those who want to be look, uh, want to look, uh, blame the devil for things. Maybe he likes to do this. So to catch their attention here rather than, um, where the devil's main work is done, which is, again, is temptation to, you name the sin, you know, in our culture, it's uh, all this sexuality sins that, um, well, I think that's, that's an important thing to say. And being forced on a- yeah, and this is why when we talk about these distinctions, it's not just about academic exercise, but really in the pastoral sense that we have to be attentive to know where we need to put our efforts then. And, and if we do get caught up too much and just, you know, with respect, again, I'm just with respect, but, I, but I've seen some of this kind of go awry. When we focus too much on, on the, the binding and the identification of whatever the particular spirit we're supposed to get rid of, and we do the prayer the way that it's supposed to be done, that binding prayer, whatever, um, these more so-called more powerful deliverance prayers, it, it ends up being a, a distraction in some ways that your, your effort isn't on the thing that's actually causing the problem, um, which could be relationship issues, which could be that, that sin, which could be um, that, that, that difficulty that's there, that that's where the effort needs to go. And so, again, it's not, it's not that we don't have authority or that we don't have... Um, freedom or, or the, again, the power to be able to pray and have, and, and have grace and have the Holy Spirit operate within us and to lead us into new life. But that new life requires work on, on multiple dimensions and, and not just always overly focused on the, on the preternatural one. There's some, uh, I know I get a parable and that's certainly not a true story, a little parable, but uh, whatever, a guy walking along the road and he was able to see demons, he'd see a demon here, there, or whatever, um, you know, tempting people or whatever they're doing. And then as he, he walks to the, the gates of a, of a big city that had a really evil reputation, a lot of sin and whatever else. And, uh, you know, he thinks he's going to see lots of demons around there. And he sees one kind of a, standing there at the city gates, kind of bored, not doing anything. The, the point of the parable being maybe the devil doesn't have to, I, I saying, you know, sometimes I bounce back and forth on that. Maybe the devil is, is terribly active in the world, or maybe he's kind of sitting in his rocking chair laughing um, because, well, they're doing a good job. Hey, far be it for me to, uh, you know, <laughs> whatever, leave well enough alone. They're doing a good enough job. I'm sure it's somewhere in between. I'm sure he's making things worse, but yeah, we don't, again, what is the primary problem here? And I'm not sure how often the devil is the primary thing. Um, just, I like the image of a devil with a pitchfork um, because I tell people, yeah, keep that one in mind. No, you know, he's spiritual, of course. He's not a physical, he doesn't have a physical pitchfork. But boy, I'm sure he is just jabbing at us in, in, you know, in our weak points, just jabbing at, you know, spiritually jabbing a pitchfork in our weak points. Amen. Amen. So, Caratio to all of us, because we all have to do the work of becoming saints. And and it's not the work, it's not our work, it's God's work, obviously. I need to, don't want to be Pelagian here for a second. So, always knowing that it's God's grace that, <laughs> right. that we can have I to give you a line that. that uh, Go ahead. Can I give you a line from an exorcist that I concluded my dissertation with? He said, this is not rocket science. He said, it's prayer, sacraments, and sacramentals. And he said, oh, this is great. He said, do what your Catholic mother told you. And if you didn't have a good Catholic mother, do what your mother of the church is telling you. <laughs> and that was, that was an exorcist saying, you want to know what to do about the devil? That's what you do. Amen.
Amen. Well, this is a great way to, to end our interview here. So Father, Father Driscoll, anything to plug? How can people get a hold of the book uh, if they've been fascinated by our conversation? Um, they shouldn't read the, the book because it's about demons and there's enough <laughs> of that out there. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but don't thought my, my mother will never hear this podcast. So I can say it. my mother, she started reading the book a few times. And I'm, I'm just I said, mom, you don't need to read this. Why do you feel like, you know, well, you wrote it. Yeah, but you don't need to read it. So, um, Catholic Answers has it and, and you can get it on Amazon. Of course, you can get anything on Amazon, but yeah, Catholic Answers publishes it. And I'll have a link to you it, can get in, it from their website in, or. on the bottom of the, in the show notes for everybody to know. The book again is called The Demon's Deliverance and the Sermons. Oh, well, that's nice. Thank you. Separating Fact from Fiction About the Spirit World. And Father Driscoll, final question I ask all my guests, what gives you hope? Uh, what it's the world as we know it's passing away. This is temporary. It's just it, the virtue of hope says keep your focus on heaven. Um, so this is just whatever is here that's bad is temporary. Yeah. Um, this world is temporary. So yeah. we just keep our focus every day, say our prayers, and that's what keeps our focus on heaven. Oh, that's what's going to last. This, this isn't whatever bad thing, struggle, suffering. It's passing. Amen. Amen. That's, that's what I guess that gives me hope. Whenever whatever is bad, I said, okay, this is this is temporary, and I tell people that too. Yes, and not denying how bad things are for you right now. It's not, this is passing. We'll keep our focus on something better, heaven. Amen. Amen. That's a great encouragement. So, and make sure we, make sure we get there. <laughs> <laughs> make sure we could, we cooperate with God's grace to the, yeah. to the degree that we're capable yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Not, not automatic. Yeah, I keep doing what we're supposed to do. That priest said, that do what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for that final reminder of the, the temporality of, of life here on earth as we're journeying towards heaven. So Father Mike Driscoll, God bless you and your, your good work that you're doing. And it's thanks so much for joining to talk me. To you. Likewise. Thank you awesome. very much. You got okay, it. We'll stay in touch. Okay. All right. Thank God. you. God bless everyone. Well, that's it. Another great show is in the bag. I hope it didn't freak you out. I really, I really hope not, man. Like this, you know, I went into this conversation and be like, yeah, this is going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And at some point I was like, yeah, you know, there's a God of mercy. It's a real mystery when it comes to this topic. And, you know, and God knows what he's doing. And so for us, we have to do the best that we can to live a life free of sin. Again, not to be scrupulous about that, but to avoid falling into a repeated mortal sin and avoiding pagan practices and things that can open us up. And to recognize that the enemy really is there, that the devil is an adversary who wants to trip us up in our lives and wants to draw too much attention to his power, to his influence, or or to remain hidden, like we said about the magician or, or uh, the materialist. Um, so the church does have answers when it comes to this. And so fight the good fight, pursue holiness, and and stay true to the traditions, the wisdom, and the practices of the church, that we have many prayers there to help us should we need uh, some type of deliverance from the struggles of life. And so God, have mercy on us all. Continue to grow in your holiness. And God bless everybody. Have a great day.